I want to welcome especially those that are visiting. If you are checking Cypress Creek Church out, I want to personally welcome you. My name is Jose. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor, and we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people who are doing our best following the one and only perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you feel at home as we worship together, read the word, and leave here encouraged. That is my hope. We've been in a series called God is love. We are looking at the letter of First John, the apostle John, who the, love, the Lord loved. He gave himself that title, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He knew how loved he was by God, and I have a theory that that is why he wrote this letter that talks about love over 53 times. Last week, we looked at how God is light, and today we're gonna look at God is love. We started by um, reading these verses in 1 John 4, starting in verse 16, uh, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so the way to know what love is, is by knowing God, because God is love. Reading on, we read in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Last week, we said that in our culture today, we are seeing an increase in fear and a decrease in compassion. And the answer to how we get leveled out is love. And the answer is God in his love for us. We, when we talked about God as light, we grabbed our flashlights, right? Remember this, and, and we turned them inwards and we looked at our stuff, our darkness, knowing that God who is perfect shines his light in us and wants to get rid of all of the gunk, all of the darkness in here. If we wanna see revival in our cities, they have to start in our hearts. We talked about releasing our sin, confessing, turning away, repenting, and living differently and receiving continually God's love that transforms us. And if you were not here last week and you're like, I'm glad I missed that one, buckle up because we got some fun and exciting and spicy verses to go through this morning in John, 1 John chapter 2. Aren't you glad you came before we read the word, I wanna pray for us, that we would be encouraged, that we would be sharpened, that we would be rebuked and trained in all righteousness as we leave this place. Pray with me. We thank you, God, for being in this room, for your presence. We thank you, God, for your word that is perfect. We ask that it would speak to every heart in this room. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing for us and through us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Brought this in this morning, and Eric goes, what are you doing with a peace pipe at church? <laughs> really, it's not a peace pipe, Eric. Obviously, this is a piano tuning wrench. Everyone's got one of these, right? I just have two of them. 
I got my piano tuned, and no, I didn't do it myself because I tried that, and it was way too hard to tune every single one of those keys. 88 keys in a piano, that guitar has six strings. Every, every note on a piano has, on average, three strings. Some have two, some have uh, one, the higher or lower you get, but it takes a long time to tune it. I didn't do too good. Here's why I'm bringing this up, and here's why I brought this tuning wrench this morning. God's word is perfect. In him, there is no darkness at all. Are we all on the same page on that? The Holy Spirit is tuning us to his frequency. As we read God's word, as we posture our hearts towards Jesus, he is doing a work in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives as we choose to walk this life Jesus's way. Not mine, not yours, not because we're a church. No, it's because... It's written here in the perfect word of God. And we're gonna continue that process today as we read chapter two, a little bit more about the book of 1 John, and we'll get going with verse one. Uh, John is in the end of the Bible, only five chapters written by the apostle John. His aim is redemptive, it's not reactionary. His focus is positive. And this is not just a list of do's and don'ts, but it's a really reality of what God has done for us. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we start reading, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So last week we read that in us is sin, and if we say that we don't have sin, then we're liars. Well, here he's really making sure that we get the opposite end as well. He's writing these things so that we do not sin. We can't excuse our sin. We shouldn't sin. But then he writes on, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came for sinners like you and me and the world. Every single person that's ever been born, no matter what culture, no matter what century, Jesus Christ came to set them free from their sins. That is good news this morning. This word propitiation, it's a fancy theological word for atoning sacrifice. And that is a fancy theological word for saying that Jesus has covered our sin by his blood. Our sin, the punishment that our sin deserves it's finished. And it's important that we talk about this on the front end because this morning we're gonna be talking about three areas, three idols that we tend to focus in on desire and be obsessed by. But not only us as 21st century Americans, but every people group that's ever existed. That's why John is calling them out. That's verse 15, let's keep on reading though, verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. Him is Jesus, if we keep his commandments. So he's asking us not, to just, not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk, be submitted to Jesus and live counterculturally. Verse four, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So as we walk our faith out, what God is doing is he's, he's tuning us. He's like, all right, this, 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 this sounds good. Now we're moving on. It's a never-ending journey of being tuned and transformed by the Holy Spirit of God to become more like Jesus, because that's what our culture needs, is more Jesus. 
Whoever says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse seven, beloved. I love that greeting, beloved. Anybody use that greeting on a normal basis? Husbands, you look at your wife and say, beloved. Our pastor in D.C., my wife and I, when we spent two years in D.C., he uh, would talk to the church that way. Every Sunday morning, he'd get up and say, beloved, but he was British, and so the accent, I think, justified that. If I said that, it'd just be weird. So, <laughs> beloved, John is writing to the, his beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's saying that this new commandment is being refreshed because God has become flesh through Jesus, and after his ascension, the Holy Spirit came down. So that's the newness of this new covenant that God made with his people. In verse nine says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. We went over this last week, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We've read a lot of scripture, a few more, and then I'm going to pause at 17, verse 12. He addresses different stages of our life. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So this is a core truth of the gospel that our sins are forgiven by God. And then he talks to fathers. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. This reminded me of the time that I became a dad and all of a sudden, all of that advice that I just shoved away that my parents had given me came back. And I realized, oh man, a lot of that was really true. And now I understand that because I have kids. I have this responsibility. When you're a father, you know that a lot of the things that you've been learning from the beginning just come true. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil. When he's speaking to the zealous passion of our youth, when we want to overcome evil and stand up for justice, three different stages of our spiritual development as children, as young men and women, and as fathers and mothers. He repeats this. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, I want to acknowledge that in this room, before we tackle these three idols, we have junior high students, we have high school students, we have college students, and everybody else. And we're about to hit some of the harder topics, so I do see some young ones. If you want to take your kids to kids' ministry, if they don't want to uh, listen, I won't be offended if I see you walk out. But junior high students, I know you're here, and I want to speak directly to you because we're going to be talking about some things that you hear out there that you need to hear inside of the church. Verse 15, do not love the world or these things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing 
away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And every junior high student saying, I didn't hear anything that he said that made me feel uncomfortable. Well, here we go. What is John talking about? He's talking about sex. He's talking about stuff. And he's talking about success. These are these three desires that take us away from God. Innately, they're not wrong. Sex is not wrong. Sex was actually God's idea. It's really, really good when we do it God's way. Stuff isn't all that bad, but when we are consumed by our desire for stuff, it drags us away from the Lord, and success ain't bad, but when that's all that we are striving for, it leads us away from God. The desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life, sex, stuff, and success. Aren't you glad now that you're here this morning to talk about this stuff? Let's talk about with the one I know you can't wait to talk about sex. Instant gratification. It's desire of the flesh. It's really inside all of us in some way. I went to a wedding yesterday. I said a prayer, and then an awesome guy, a pastor from San Antonio who did the other part of the ceremony, said that God starts the Bible with marriage and ends the Bible with marriage. And I heard that and thought, man, that's good. That's going to preach. I'm definitely adding that to the message in the morning. Here's what he meant. In Genesis, God created Adam and Eve. He created humanity, which is the Hebrew word for Adam, and Eve, the Hebrew word for life, for one another. The two became one flesh. That's marriage. Marriage was God's idea. Not my idea, not your idea, not the church's idea, not a Christian idea. It is God's idea was from the beginning. God's way, man and woman. And then at the end, we read that Jesus, we, were, we sang it, is gonna come back for his bride, and that's you and me. We're called the bride of Christ as his church. And Jesus is coming back for us, just as we all stand up and turn and see the beautiful bride walk down the aisle, so will we walk down to the resurrected Jesus Christ that is come back to bring us all home. It starts and ends with marriage. And what John is saying is that there is desire in us that wants to go a different way. All of us, no matter what culture we're in, no matter where we're from, it's inside of us. And we read this passage earlier in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, saying that perfect love casts out fear, and that we have an increase of fear and a decrease of compassion. Let me just talk to us as the church one bit. I think we need a little bit more of compassion in this area because what we're missing sometimes is that the reason why our world talks so crazily about sex is because they're afraid. There's a fear out there, and if we're honest, there's a fear in here. What is that fear? It's the fear of being alone. It's the fear of not having intimacy to share with somebody. You know, the Greek word for this type of love, erotic love, is eros. And it's not mentioned a single time in the New Testament. Porneia is, we're gonna read a, a scripture of, of that which is the opposite, that's sexual immorality. That's anything having to do with sex outside of marriage. But eros isn't. And I love that because what is, is agape. When we are taught husbands to love our wives, we're called to love our wives the same way that Jesus loved us, sacrificially, by giving up ourselves. See, it's that type of love that is most important 
And if we do that really well, husbands, the other stuff will follow. Pornea is in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. That's pornea, all other sins. A person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When we say yes to Jesus, what we're also saying is we have been purchased by what he has done for us on the cross. And so anytime that we see sexual uh, sex outside of marriage in any way in the mind when we lust or actual adultery, it doesn't make a difference. It's all not from God. And it has to do with this desire, which I firmly believe is rooted in fear. Well, what do we read? It's perfect love that casts out. The reality is that God is jealous for you and for me. That's what heals us. When we recognize that we are wanted by the Almighty in the Old Testament time and time again, God is a jealous God. You may think, well, that's weird, Jose, because jealousy isn't a good thing according to the Bible, right? We're not supposed to be jealous. But his jealousy is different because when you and I are jealous, it's selfish. We want what somebody else has. God doesn't need anything from us. He wants us. He wants you and I to be close to him. And when we're rooted there, we allow that love to cast out this fear of being alone, this fear of being unwanted, this fear that we won't share companionship with someone else. Sex. Stuff. We all desire things in uh, the Big Ten in Exodus 20. Do not covet. We just talked about jealousy. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Exodus 20, 17. Uh, If you're 20 or younger, if you're 30 or younger, I think you're going to know where this song is from. I'm going to quote these lyrics. I'm not going to sing it or do the dance moves. If you want to be cool, follow one simple rule. Don't mess with the flow. Oh, no. Stick to the status quo. Anyone brave enough to oust their selves and their reputation and tell me where that's from? It's High School Musical. The status quo. We want stuff so that we can keep up with the Joneses for anyone that's older than millennials. We just want stuff to to feel comfortable. We want stuff so that we can be secure that we bought this and bought that. But God said, this is, that's, the, that's the desire of the eyes is what John is speaking to right here. Again, three idols that we are so consumed by on a daily basis if we're not careful and if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. Well, what fear does that strike? Strikes that we won't have enough, that what we have is not enough to satisfy. And the truth is it never will satisfy. Stuff doesn't satisfy. Why? How do I know that? Well, have you ever bought something and then wanted more of it or wanted something that was bigger or newer? It doesn't satisfy. 
I go to Costco, and my item right now is a soundbar for my TV. Why? Because I grew up in a home that was loud, and I like loud music. I wanted to pack a punch. Anybody else with me? If I don't feel it, it's not loud enough. This morning, it was loud enough. I felt it. Well, my wife is just a harmonious, peaceful human being. So she just wants order, and we have loud little ones. So there's no need to add to that volume with the soundbar. Well, here's what happens. I research the best deal for a soundbar because I try to justify that, yeah, it may be an expense that we may not need to prioritize, but hey, there's this really good deal, and we're saved, so we'll, we'll buy this one. And then I'm not looking for soundbars anymore. I'm just checking the weather or checking ESPN or checking the news, and all I see are soundbars. On the internet, these Google algorithms are relentless. They want to consume you and me. Stuff, and it'll never, ever satisfy. The truth is that if we love this world, if we try to chase the desire of our flesh and the desire of our eyes, the world's not gonna love us back. The, girl, the world just wants to take from us. And it's interesting because our heart, desire, this want, also wants to just take, which leads us to the pride of life. Success. Me first. You may say, Jose, there's no, there's no, no, no bad thing with having a successful life, a successful career, influential position. And I will say, absolutely, you are way Right, the problem happens when that is all-consuming. And all we think about is our forward progress. That's not how Jesus lived. Jesus came to lay down his life for you and for me. He was on the mountain being tempted by the devil, and the devil, who does rule this earth, said, hey, you can have all of this. Every knee would bow down for you. And Jesus said, I didn't come. I didn't come for that. I'll come back for that but I came right now to lay down my life for my people, for my creation. Success me first. Matthew 16, 25, 26, Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? When I tend to be, you know, just I wanna succeed, I wanna move forward, my fear is fear of failure. What about yours? I don't want to be seen as a failure. I don't want to do something, mess up, and not be able to get back up and keep my reputation. Well, Jesus says, hey, just go ahead and lose your life right off the bat. Don't have anyone take it from you. Don't wait till you mess up. Just lay down your life. I've already laid it down for, I've already laid down my life for you. And when you do that, We have security. And no matter what we do, no matter how bad we may screw up, his love for us never changes. No matter what we do vocationally, who we are to him, a son and a daughter is way more important. Let's not get lost in the pride of life. So three don'ts. Jose, you said that we weren't gonna be doing a list of do's and don'ts, and you're right. And here's what I want to propose to us before we close and read the rest of this passage. The truth is, is that God loves the world. He loved the world so much that he gave us Jesus. The problem is that our hearts desire the things in the world, and what God wants to do 
is give us his love for the world. See the stuff the same way God sees the stuff. See sex the same way God sees sex and see success the way God sees success. When we do that, we will be rightfully living as God has called us to walk here on planet Earth until he calls us home. And instead of taking, trying to, I want this, I want to take, I want to take, I want to take, we receive from the one that abundantly and generously and freely gives to us. That's agape love. His love never ends. We need that type of love to live down here. In verse 24, he keeps on writing, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. The truth is, is that nothing will satisfy. None of the stuff, sex, success, it won't do it. But eternal life can only be found in Jesus. That's where our satisfaction lies. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This anointing that he is speaking about is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us. I'm going to fast forward because later in the letter, he writes, the greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who loves you than the desire for the stuff of this world. My friends, let's love God and receive his love for us as we do life and pursue the things that he has called us to pursue. He speaks to his coming, this wedding day that we will be reunited with our Savior and our Creator. Worship team, you can come back up. So what do we know? We know that the desires, that our desire of the flesh, that our desires of the eyes and the pride of life will not satisfy. So what do we do? Well, I think the Apostle Paul put this into practice beautifully in Colossians 3, 5, 8. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We lay down our desire and say, Lord, replace the desire for sex, the desire for stuff, and the desire for success, but a desire for you. Replace my fear of being alone, my fear of being unwanted, my fear of not having enough and living in scarcity, my fear of not being significant, my fear of not being enough, and replace that by your perfect love. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, and above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We have to ask the Lord to tune our hearts, to tune our desires to what he wants. Because what he wants is to be glorified in your life by how we talk and how we live. What he wants is to be famous in your life. And what he wants is you, personal, intimate relationship. 